0: Good to see you, everybody. Hi. Hi. Happy Father's Day. Super pumped to be able to bring the word and, uh, and preach this morning in one of my favorite places on earth, this church right here where more people were helping to say yes to God. We want that for you, as Pastor Sam was saying. And we're going to um, continue our series that we started last week on the Lord's Prayer, which is probably one of the most famous prayers ever written. Many people have heard of it. Uh, but we're going to dive deep into the meaning of it today. And what you'll find is, is actually, um, it's an incredibly simple prayer. As we go deep, it gets more simple and more simple and more simple. And last week, we heard Pastor Darren start us off with uh, the, kind of the introduction that Jesus gave us, right? Jesus told us, when you pray... Don't pray like the hypocrites and don't, don't be uh, somebody who draws attention to yourself with prayer and with your, your fancy words and your, you know, your lengthy prayers that people might say, wow, that person's really su- super spiritual. No, there's, there's a wrong way to pray, as Jesus said, and a right way to pray. And Jesus is about to lay out, line by line, the way that he wants us to pray, to be humble, to be glorifying of God. And prayer is just such a huge, huge deal. I mean, like, I say that and it just doesn't have the impact that it should. It is a huge deal. And something that's happened in our culture, really my whole life and probably long before that, something interesting is that prayer has become something that can be uncomfortable for a lot of people. And I know what I'm talking about because I was that guy. When I was a young man, I felt uncomfortable praying out loud just because I felt awkward, you know. And what if I say the wrong thing or embarrass myself, and plus, I guess I'm talking to a a God that I can't see, so that's kind of weird right there, right? And so, I just want to encourage you today, from my own experience, that learning how to communicate with God has been one of the most profound things in my life, and I mean that sincerely, to know that when I pray, God hears me, is an incredible comfort, amen? Amen? To know that when, when I pray and ask Him for things, that He answers and He answers with all of heaven behind Him, with all of the authority and power that comes with Him, is something that I really don't want to live without now that I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, as the scripture says. I don't know if I could live without it because I have this connection and a relationship with my Heavenly Father that once you have it, man, you're never letting go. It doesn't matter the cost. And I want you to know what that feels like, to know that connection between you and your Heavenly Father. Prayer has become a foundation of my life, and so today I hope to equip you with some skills to help enhance your prayer life with the Lord. And so we're going to dive right into this first line of of how Jesus teaches us to pray. Let's go ahead and put it up on the screen, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, and uh, I'd like to read it together if you don't mind, so let's give it a shot. Here we go. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. That's it. That's how Jesus says we should begin our prayers. Now here we're reminded, kind of like we learned last week, that it's very important to start our prayers with our focus on God and his glory before we ever get to our own needs, right? But we also see that Jesus is very specific about who he's talking to at the beginning of this prayer. Our Father. Who's in heaven and he's holy. Now, this may seem just like a simple start to a conversation, but as we dig into the meaning of these words, we see that Jesus was very careful in choosing them for a reason. These words inform us of who God is at his core, and they create the context of any prayer requests that will follow. But this comes first. To skip over this introduction or to gloss over, just just skip it entirely, would diminish the power and the effectiveness of our prayers. And as Darren taught us last week, the idea here is not necessarily to say this prayer word for word, but to understand the essence of it, so that every prayer that we pray has these words at the heart of them. Do you see the difference? And it's not wrong to memorize the Lord's Prayer. I, I highly recommend memorizing Scripture. I've memorized it. Um, but Jesus is saying, this is how you should pray. Not necessarily word for word, but let's go a little bit deeper in the meaning of these words. So let's, do, let's go. The first thing that we see Jesus refers to God as Father. Everybody say Father. Father. It's Father's Day, right? A very good, well-timed um, message for today. And I did a little research, looked up the definition of father, even though really everybody knows what it is. I was just curious. The definition I found, I thought was accurate, but uh, slightly disappointing in its shallowness. And so I found this, uh, it says that a father is a man in relation to his natural child or children. Okay, so that's, in other words, in order to be a dad, you have to have a kid or kids, right? And everybody knows that. But it seems pretty surface, right? Now, while some may disagree, most people on earth believe that there is a greater power out there somewhere, right? The the big guy in the sky, that created them. And so it's not too big of a jump to to think that, okay, so God created me, and by that simple fact, therefore, he's my father, I'm his son. Even though I have, like, my human dad, this guy who I don't know created everything, and so he's, you know, like my spiritual dad, I guess. But that is merely scratching the surface of what it means to call God God our father. Here's why. If you were to ask someone who was adopted, or perhaps, unfortunately, a child who was abandoned when they were born, they would make a distinction between their biological dad and the dad who raised them, right? Most of, I have plenty of friends who are in that situation, and they say like, Yeah, I know that bio mom and dad got together, and then nine months later I I came, but they weren't really a part of my life, so I I recognize they're my bio dad, but the the dad who adopted me, the guy who, who raised me, he's my dad, right? And the same is true with God. It's not enough to just recognize that God created you, but it's not really part of your life. Calling him father is a recognition that he is raising you that he's with you constantly, that he's teaching you everything you need to know, that he's protecting you from danger, that even sometimes he's disciplining you so that you can mature because every good dad doesn't want their kid to stay a kid forever. And sometimes that requires discipline. This is the father that you have relationship with. This is the father that you talk to and the father that you know. That's the father that Jesus says we are addressing in our prayers, our Father in heaven. Now I don't know about you, but I am way more excited to talk to a God like that than I am about some God who maybe created all the mountains and the stars and everything. But I don't know. I'm very interested in the God who's very interested in me as a father. Amen. Jesus goes a little bit deeper in the next chapter in Matthew seven, and he starts to kind of like explain what what it means when we pray to our Father. And he says, when you, when you pray to God, this is what happens. He says, in verse 7, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Those are good things, right? Right? <laughs> For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. But let's go a little bit deeper. If you still don't quite understand, let me draw a difference between a heavenly father and our understanding of an earthly father. So Jesus says, in verse 9, which of you... If your son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. Of course not. Nobody would do that. So, So if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? There's a huge difference here. In the scripture, Jesus explains the Father heart of God as one who gives good gifts to those who ask, but on a level that's so much greater than our ability to love even our own children. This is our Father. And here's another scripture. Psalm 68, verse five, says, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. This is our Father. Psalm 34, 18, says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, He saves those who are crushed in their spirit. Again, another picture of God as a father that is compassionate, as a God that is close, and a God who is intimately involved in our lives. He is a good father. And so we see that when we call God father, it's so much more than just a recognition that he created us. It's a recognition of an intimate relationship with the one who loves us deeper than we could ever imagine. And I want to ask you, have you ever felt that kind of love? Have you ever felt that kind of love from a father who can love deeper than you can imagine? And I want to encourage you to be honest. There's no reason to pretend here today In fact, you probably make it harder on yourself if you do pretend to just be honest. Have you ever felt that kind of love personally, like you, in your heart? Or, if you're honest, is there a separation between you and God? And there's no wrong answer, unless you're being dishonest. Is there a separation between you and God? The reason I ask is because just like the abandoned child feels a separation with his or her bio dad, those that are not in the Lord Jesus feel a separation with God. The difference in this case is that the separation is not caused by God abandoning us, but it's caused by our own sin. And this is a super important thing to get. I need you to pay attention to this. God, the separation you feel is not caused by God not being loving or not being a father or leaving you or abandoning you. It's caused by our own sin. And as we will begin to unpack a little bit later this morning, there can be no sin in God's presence because our Father is holy. And therefore, if there is unforgiven sin in our lives, then we, by default, are separated from God. He's holy. But the good news is that he's also a good father. And he made a sacrifice to eliminate the separation between God and him. And us, and that sacrifice was Jesus Christ, as we just remembered through taking communion. He's, he loved us so much that he made this huge sacrifice, this incredibly costly thing, by giving Jesus to give his life, to eliminate that sap- separation. As a matter of fact, God made a way to adopt us back into his family, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, Just like Paul says in Romans 8.15, he says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption into sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Shout it out. What does the word Abba mean, if anybody knows? Daddy. Yeah, Father, Daddy. A very intimate name for somebody that you know. You don't go around calling just anybody daddy, right? By him, we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. Listen, because of our sin, we were made orphans from God. But because of his fatherly love, through Jesus Christ, he made a way for us to be adopted back into his family. That's good news. Amen? Those who have been saved and forgiven by Jesus Christ no longer see God as this distant being somewhere out in the cosmos, but they see him as Daddy, Abba, the one who is intimately involved in their lives. Jesus says, when you pray, address God as our Father. That's who we're talking to. And then we move on to the next part of the verse where Jesus says, our Father who is what? In heaven. In heaven. Now this is an important distinction because our ideas of fatherhood, kind of like I said before, are worldly. Our ideas of fatherhood are tainted by our worldly views. We live in the world. It's it's not a negative at all. It's just how we see things. And many of us, unfortunately, have bad experiences with fathers. Some dads out there, if we're honest, are abusive and violence. Some dads are selfish and put their self themselves, above their family. Some dads are adulterous cheaters. Whatever the case may be, we've all experienced, or know someone who has experience with a bad dad. But on the other hand, not every dad is a bad dad. Amen. Aren't you glad for good dads in the world? And this is church. And it's Father's Day, and I'm not here to beat up on dads. I'm here to celebrate the gift of fatherhood and point to the one who is the perfect father in heaven. My dad is an awesome dad. I have won the lottery with my dad. My dad is fantastic. And I've told him, he had his 70th birthday this year, and I told him, I said, Dad, I, with all sincerity, when I grow up, I want to be like you. You are, have been an incredible dad. And now he's granddad, like he's Appa. We call him Appa and... And he's just knocking it out of the park. And it's like, I want to be Appa like he is. To, to my grandkids, you know, like, it's just, it's inspiring. My dad is awesome. And if you have an experience like mine, then count yourself blessed. Because a good dad is a gift from God. Amen. But Jesus is careful to point out that our father is a heavenly father. He's so far beyond even the best of dads that we know here on earth that there can be really no comparison. Now, like I said, I'm a dad, and while I strive to be a good dad to my three kids, I am far from perfect, and I mess up sometimes. Sometimes it might be hard to believe, but my kids can make me angry. Can anybody relate? Can I get a witness? All right, thank you. It's not just sometimes. You guys see them at church when they're all cute and dressed up. You know how it is. At home, it's, it's the real deal. And, uh, but let, let's be clear about this. It's not wrong to be angry, okay? So do not hear that from me. It's not wrong to be angry. God himself gets angry. The Bible says that he's slow to anger, and probably much slower than me and you, right? But he's, he does get angry. But the Bible teaches us that we should not sin in our anger, not let our anger cause us to sin. And so, so when you're angry, that's a red flag, to be like, watch out, you might cross that line into sin. And I've done that. I'll just confess to you and be vulnerable that I have. I've crossed that line as a dad from anger into sin with my children, and it's a bummer. It's it's not something I'm proud of at all. I've had to humble myself and ask for forgiveness from my kids and from God. And while it's vitally important to be the best dad that I can be, it's even more important that my kids know their heavenly Father. Amen? This is the one who never sins in his anger. The one who is never selfish and who is always present. This is the one who is perfect and has a perfect plan for them. The best thing I can do as a dad is teach them about the Father whose ways are higher than my ways and whose thoughts are higher than my thoughts. As good as I can try to be I will ultimately fail them at some point. But our Father in heaven will never fail. He will never fail. Our Father is a heavenly Father. This is next level fatherhood. And then lastly, Jesus says, I'll pray like this, Our Father in heaven, what? Holy is your name. Everyone say holy. holy. You may be more familiar with translations that say Hallowed be thy name, and that's fine, that's totally biblical, that hallowed and holy basically mean the same thing, okay? So you can use that word if you want, but today we'll use the word holy. Uh, again, I looked up the definition of holy, and there's actually quite a few definitions, um, but the one I, I put it in your notes uh, is the one I found I think really captures the essence of what Jesus is saying here, is that something, is, something that is holy is entitled to reverence and respect. Reverence and Respect. And I want to go just a little deeper and explain that because the Bible teaches that God is holy. The idea behind the concept of holiness is separation. It comes from a word meaning to separate or to cut off. God is separate or cut off from everything that is sinful and evil. He cannot tolerate sin, it is not in His nature to do that. He's holy. Just like John says in 1 John 1, 5, he writes, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. None at all. To say that God is holy means there is no trace of evil in his character. So that's why before, when when I asked you, Have you ever felt this kind of love, or do you feel that separation? Maybe that separation is there, because not because God has abandoned you or because he doesn't love you. It's because God is holy, and there can be no sin in his character. There can be no darkness in him, because he's perfect. He's perfect. He's a holy God. I studied some more, did some research on on the holiness of God, and I came across a scripture that I've read a million times but never saw this before. I think it's super cool. Maybe you already know this, but I find it really fascinating because I found it out this week. In Revelation chapter 4, we see this picture of heaven. And our Father is in heaven on the throne, and it says that all of, the, all of heaven is around the throne worshiping God and giving him glory for who he is. And it says day and night, in verse 8, day and night they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come? Let me ask you, how many times does it say that God is holy? Three times, yes. I asked that in the last service and it was on the screen and they literally didn't answer me. I'm like, you guys are doing good. <laughs> Let's count it out. <laughs> Three times. This is what's so cool. The only attribute of God that is mentioned three times is apparently his predominant attribute, holiness. He is not just holy. He is holy, holy, holy. In Jewish liturgy, when something is incredibly important, this is what they do. They mention it twice, two times. So that's why Jesus sometimes would say, when he'd speak to people, he'd say, truly, truly, I tell you, truly, Like, pay attention. Truly, truly. This is important, what I'm about to say. Listen up. Or when God would address Moses in the Old Testament, he would say, Moses, Moses, listen. I say that to my my daughter, Amelie. Amelie. Or you say it to your homeboy, be like, dude, dude. Right? Like, (laughs) it's important what I'm about to lay down right now. Pay attention. But our God... It's not just holy. He's holy, holy, holy. This is the only attribute of God that is mentioned in the scriptures three times. Continuing to look at Jewish tradition, the name of God was considered so holy that they would not even speak it out loud. There was so much reverence for God that they wouldn't even spell it. The very letters were considered too holy to be defiled by an imperfect writer. So they would replace it with something like the name, or they'd put something else in there. As much as the Jews seemed to make a lot of mistakes in the Old Testament, they truly understood the holiness of God. Our Father in heaven is holy. He is a holy God. Now, when you are faced with a holy God, then it's only natural to have a healthy fear of the Lord. A fear of the Lord. Because he's perfect. He's holy. We see it in scripture, the the fear of the Lord. Again, with Moses. When Moses climbed Mount Sinai and he was seeking God and, and he found the burning bush, which was the holy presence of God, the Bible says that he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. And God told him, to take his sandals off because he was standing on what? Holy ground. Proverbs 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. A healthy fear of the Lord is good because you recognize that he's almighty and he is powerful. Many people believe that there is a God, but they have no fear of him. You see how big of a difference there is there? I believe there's a God, but but I'm totally fine being separated with him. I believe that you know I give I give props to the God who made Pike's Peak and the sun and the moon, like that's awesome. I don't know you though. And to be honest, I really don't want you up in my grill, so let's just be separated. It's cool. You know what? It's not cool. It is not cool. He is a holy God who is to be feared and reverenced. James speaks about this exact situation in chapter 2, verse 9. And listen listen to the sarcasm in James' voice here. He says, you believe that there's one God? Good. Good for you. Because guess what even the demons believe and shudder even demons know there's a God and they fear God what James is saying here is that it's not enough just to believe we should have a healthy fear of a holy God that causes us to repent of our sin you know why because your father wants you to come back to him And I had to come to this point in my life, too, where I said, yes, I believe there's a God, obviously, but what am I doing about it? Am I just going to keep on sinning because God has to forgive me? He's holy. It doesn't work like that. When we sin, oftentimes we have this response that seems logical at the time, but it's really the opposite of what we should do. When we sin, we avoid God. Because he's holy. I messed up. I know I messed up. I and mean, God is like perfect. And I don't want him to know. So I'm just going to pretend like it didn't happen. I'm not going to talk to him about it. I'm going to avoid it. I'm going to try to forget about it. That it even happened. But you know what? It's God's holiness. That should cause us to run to him For forgiveness. Because ignoring our sin and, for, and like forgetting about it only lets it fester in your life. And guess what? God doesn't forget. God already knows, first of all, that you did it. So you're not really succeeding in hiding anything from him. And the very thing that you want to do is by forgetting about it is not going to happen when you avoid God. It will happen when you address God. Because when you go with, to God with your sin, in his holiness... He realizes, okay, I can't have any sin in my presence, but you know what? I'm a father to this person, and I love him so much. Matter of fact, I gave my own son to die this brutal death on a cross just so I could forgive this person. I'm so glad you came because I wanna forgive you. So how about we just take care of that, and I can't even remember what you did already because the Bible teaches us that God forgets about our sin when he forgives us. Isn't that awesome? See how it's the opposite of what we would think would happen? Our God is holy, but he's also a a father. He wants to forgive us. And so I've learned that I can't pull any tricks on God. Even though I may think my way is better, his way is always right. Period. So if you can take that home with you, you, you've succeeded already. His way is always right. And so instead of pretending that my sin is, is no big deal... I've learned a healthy fear of God. God is a holy God, and He is to be feared and reverenced. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, This is a holy kingdom. I don't care what you say or what you try to do to take this thing down. It cannot be shaken. And that's good news. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and with awe. God is holy. And at the same time, God is Father in heaven. He's not either or. He is both and That's the God that has captured my attention. That God that I've given my life to. And so Jesus teaches us to respond to him appropriately with worship. Putting him first. When we come to church on Sundays, we always start just like we did today with a time dedicated to worshiping our Father This is a direct obedience to the scripture that Jesus is teaching us. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. We start with putting our focus on how good our Father is and deserving of glory. Before we ever ask for anything or sit down to hear the word, we put God in his rightful place on our hearts as Father and as holy. And I have found that that when I get this right, and I don't always get it right, but when I do, I've found that everything else falls into place. Sometimes answers come to things that I haven't even asked for yet. Have you ever experienced that? That is the coolest thing. We're like, I'm going to ask God for a raise, or I'm going to ask God for help with my kid, or whatever, but it's not prayer time yet. We're here worshiping. And it's through the act of, of honoring God as father and as holy God just already answers the prayer that I didn't have time to ask him for yet or sometimes when we do this victory comes the battles that we're facing begin to shift towards victory when we put God first and this is so, such a beautiful thing of surrender when you stop trying to work it out by yourself and just let God do it man he's, he's holy right like he can do it better than me every time And I'm not saying that this is the secret formula where you just say these words and your life becomes perfect. I am saying that when we neglect to put our father first in everything, good or bad situation, no matter what, we lose the opportunity to experience his biggest blessings. I don't know about you, but I want it all, man. I want all that my father has for me. And so I want to do it right now. I don't want to talk about it another minute. I want to put God first and worship him acceptably with reverence and with awe.